People are inherently good and when you offer people a way to support other people, they want to take it. I also think in this digital age, everything's so digital now, and in this age, let us remind people of the beauty of real connection, exactly what you were speaking of. This is Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of women living in rural and regional Australia. I'm Sky Manson, your host for this episode. Our guest today, Mia Campbell, is a lawyer by training who's good at making things happen and quick. Her massively successful social impact business was a daydream thought one day and a registered business with a website the next. And within a year, there was more than 15,000 people signed up to take part, as well as schools and big business. Connected AU and its flagship, the Letterbox Project, which is basically a pen pal project, were inspired when Mia thought of her late grandfather and how lonely COVID lockdown would have made him. And Mia knows loneliness too. In fact, it triggered her own family to pull up their roots near Walgett in New South Wales and move to the regional city of Dubbo. But as you'll learn today, the Letterbox Project is so much more than just writing letters. It's a different form of social and cultural education, breaking down stereotypes, creating connections between the generations. And as she says, when people take part in her project, they're changing people's lives. Connected AU um, is a purpose-led business. That's the best way to describe it. And what it does is it works to reduce isolation and loneliness. So it does that. um, We deliver programs to create real connection for people. Um, That's essentially what it it is. The programs are designed for people anywhere in the country to join in and find community and connection. And so as part of that, the Letterbox Project has by far been the most successful thing. Tell me about what that's all about. So the Letterbox Project is the flagship project. It's the one that's had the most interest um, and it's quite simple. So it's it's a pen pal, pen pal program where we connect the wider community with people who are feeling really vulnerable and lonely. It's really complex. It's far more complex than your average pen pal um, program. We, um, we vet all the letters and we don't share any identifiable personal information. So it's really safe uh, and that's why it's different. And, and it's just grown enormously over the last 12 months. It's been just this, this huge surge of participation and growth. And it's been quite um, life-changing for myself, but also for lots of the people who are participating. How much has it grown? Tell me about that. So it's grown a lot. So um, there's over 15,000 letter writers now. Um, and they, they just make up people in the community. So families, young mums with kids. Um, there's also over 450 schools from across the country writing letters. There's um, lots of 
um, national corporations, so big businesses are using it as their staff volunteering. Um, we have had Deloitte, um, Expedia, West Fund, so lots of those big corporates are using it. So it's just grown, um, and it's grown really organically, I think. So um, one one person writes a letter and then they tell their friend about it, and then that's how the 15,000 letter writers have grown. And one school participates and a teacher might tell another teacher. So that's how it's really grown really organically. I'm so interested in that. Why do you think it has grown so quickly, organically, and 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 it's still and sustainably as well, I suppose. People are inherently good. And when you offer people a way to support other people, they want to take it. I also think in this digital age, everything's so digital now. And in this age, letters remind people of the beauty of real connection, exactly what you were speaking of. Uh, They're tangible. Letters are tangible. We can touch the paper and you can see the slope of the handwriting, the smudges, just all the elements that all add up to effort. So I think letters um, just show people real effort. Um, And I also think that because of COVID, it brought these issues of loneliness and isolation into the public view. Uh, Loneliness and isolation have a pre-existing. So they've existed long before COVID. But I think um, COVID really made everyone more aware of that experience. Um, I think that's been a real positive of COVID and appreciation by the general population that our circumstances can greatly impact our level of happiness and self-worth and that often people, through no fault of their own, are in circumstances where they're just really isolated and lonely. And most of the country at some stage last year had their circumstances um, taken out of their control with lockdowns. And it just gave people a really good insight, I think, into um, into what that would be like if you were always in that situation. You know, some of us weren't able to visit our friends or family for six weeks and we could then really imagine the experience of people who don't have friends or family at all. Um, so I think that was, I think that's why last year, so many people got involved and supported it. Are most of the people that are sort of classified as as lonely who are receiving the letters through the Letterbox project are of an older generation? It's that's a great question, and it's it's very very interesting. Um, so I set it up thinking that yes the people we, we were supporting would predominantly be seniors, people with disabilities or chronic health conditions. And that is a really large cohort of the Letterbox project. But there are also so many other people that you wouldn't you wouldn't expect to fall into this cat into these categories of being really lonely and isolated. Um, we've got young mums who are at home with their children and feeling really isolated and lonely. We've got um, single parents We've got women that have escaped domestic violence, um, alcohol addiction. So there's there's uh, a lot of people who are feeling dreadfully isolated and lonely um, that don't fit into those categories that we had at the very beginning of this. And that is why, so um, that's why our second program, um, us are four online hobby groups or community groups. Um, you can You can join our book club or gardening group. Uh, there's a social club and there's also a, a wellness group. And so there's these four online community groups and we're seeing a lot of people who are participating in the Letterbox Project who are those young mums or single parents or people that are our age are joining those online groups just to find some connection. And on top of that question, how many of the people who are receiving letters are based in rural areas? Is there anything that you notice there? Absolutely, there's a large percentage in rural and regional areas. I think um, 39% of letter recipients 
are based in a rural or regional area. Um, and it's just, it's interesting. We, we, um, we have a really comprehensive data system where we can report, um, do, do really comprehensive reporting. And so we can actually see that where people are and why they're feeling isolated and lonely. And so a lot of the regional and rural participants say that it's just because they're physically isolated essentially whereas opposed to the people in the city they report to be really socially isolated so they might be living in big you know big apartment blocks with hundreds of people but they're very alone because they don't talk to anyone whereas the country people it's just that they are so far away and they just have so many more challenges with services lack of services and so there's so many reasons why they might be feeling it how how it sounds you mentioned that it is a really complex kind of setup so Um, when when people contact you and say, I'd like to be a recipient, do they explain to you what their situation is? And then do you match to them particular letters that come across your desk? That's right. So when someone um, signs up to receive a letter, they explain why they're feeling isolated and lonely. And then um, we do match them. <laughs> If there's something in particular that's really, um, so for instance, we have people that might be from a different cultural background. So we match them with someone who can engage with them on that level. Um, or we have requests as well. Sometimes we have a request, you know, an ex-serviceman, an older gentleman who might be an ex-serviceman really wants to connect with someone in a similar situation. So we definitely manually really try and match people really well. Um, but mostly if if people don't have those really unique situations, we just match them. All of the letter writers are phenomenal. So every person who's signed up to write letters are all just, they're just making such an unbelievable effort. And all of the letters are life-changing, I think. Oh, I love it so much. Do you think part of the reason why this works is that I, I know you said that there's been it's not only seniors that are receiving letters, but that it connects across generations. And the form of letter writing was the way of communicating with the older generation. And so by the younger generation um, participating in that, it, it sort of is a, even though they don't know each other, it just creates this connection to a way that life was where maybe some of those lessons um, the younger generation wouldn't get in everyday life. Does that make sense? Very long yes. question. <laughs> that's so. Um, it's wonderful inside of yours. So one of the one of the main um, visions that we've got, I guess, is is what you've just said. So it's to facilitate and really, um, really to facilitate those intergenerational connections. So create intergenerational connections, and also we say to try and break down stereotypes um, because you know. I think the younger generation today, and this is a lot of the reason or some of the reason why I did this in the first place, um, ageing and ageism now, that's an entirely different, you know, we could have a, a conversation just about that. Um, and so I think it's really helpful to have programs like this where you're connecting the younger generation to that older generation um, and just growing that awareness and, and breaking down some of those stereotypes. And the beautiful thing, Mia, is that your grandfather was the inspiration for this tell me about that yeah so he um he was the reason I started everything I guess um and I I have told this story before I guess at the beginning of last year I just couldn't get him out of my mind I just kept thinking about him and um all the all the the ways that 
the start of last year would have impacted on him. He, he lived by himself. We were his absolute life. Um, and so he would have found it really, really distressing. And so he was the reason I thought of this. And then it sent me off on a bit of a tangent of research and really looking into isolation and loneliness and the issues and how many people are experiencing them. And it's really, really quite startling when you learn about it and how, how big of an issue it is. Loneliness is an equal risk factor for mortality as smoking and obesity, which is huge. It's the same risk of death as smoking and obesity. Um, and there's so many people who are at risk more so than others. So I just... Um, I just got into the research side of it and that's 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 the direction I went after that but he definitely was the motivation. And that's that's the other uh, amazing thing about this is that you researched it and then enactioned everything over the course of 24 hours wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was very quick afterwards. Um, yes, it was. It was all done myself. So it was very DIY. And over the last 12 months, it's all been, you know, we've improved so many elements of it. But I definitely did it myself um, in the beginning. Well, talk me through that. Like you, you, were talking, you were thinking about your grandfather and then ideas came to mind and run me through those 24 hours. Ideas came to mind. Ideas came to mind. I like that. And then I just did a little bit of research or a lot of research. And then I also did a bit of research on what's available right now. And I thought, I thought of three programs and I thought I could do something to help. So I got up the next day and I dropped the girls at school and I just, I just started it. So I literally just sat down at the table and I just started it. I did the business name and all of those things, all the legals. And then I just started my own website, went to Squarespace (laughs) It was very DIY. I had to Google, you know, how to do forms and how to connect Google Sheets to forms on websites. So it's, you know, but it got up and running and it was, and I did the social, created the social media accounts and it, and it, it literally just grew within that first week. So it was pretty mind-blowing how that happened. But as I said, I really have had to get some specialists in and everything essentially has been rebuilt <laughs> since those, those early attempts of mine. How did people know about it in those early days? Um, I think it was in social media and Instagram in particular. And I think it was, and that's why I find this such an interesting example of how something can just organically grow because I started posting about it on social media. I followed different accounts. I don't know what I was doing on social media, but I was following and hashtagging letter writing and whatever I thought was relevant. And, um, and obviously some people saw it signed up and they wrote and they just started sharing it amongst their own networks. And that's how, that's really how it's grown. People have organically shared it on social media but also just in the community within their own networks yes it's such a wonderful feat because you as we keep talking about you are um tapping into an older generation who don't use instagram and mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. just so wonderful what you've been able to achieve so far um yeah. i'm interested to know do you think about your grandfather all the time now um well, i do uh I guess as this has grown, I have. He um, he was a fairly successful businessman and he always was very encouraging the th- his three grandchildren, so the three of us, to, to have our own businesses and go out on our own. Um, and I had never intended to do that. I'd never really thought that was anything I would do. Um, so I have thought of him fairly recently quite a lot just thinking he would have been so thrilled at how this is just how this has worked out you know the office and I've got staff now and it's just there's so much potential and growth happening and yeah I have thought of him and wished yeah he had been able to see this and what's happened. You did have very grassroots beginnings but late last year a really big sponsor came on board and that was Tetley's 
Tell yeah. me about how that changed things for you. That essentially changed everything. It got to a point towards the end of last year where it was so big, it was growing so big and there was, you know, there were 47 volunteers. It was, all, I was self-funding it for the first year and it just got, it essentially got too big for me and for what I was doing and me being able to fund it. So I actually had, um, I decided that if I wasn't able to make it sustainable, um, and I think that was when I chatted with you last year. If I wasn't able to make it sustainable, I was going to have to um, just walk away from it or pass it on to someone else. Um, it needed to be sustainable, I guess. And so I reached out to someone, I think it was late September, and just um, asked if they would help me try and find a sponsor for it or a partner for it. And I think within two weeks, Tetley had signed on and said, yes, we love this. Um, they, they're actually really community-minded and they do a lot of work uh, and they just saw this as a perfect pairing, I guess, and it is, like sitting down and having a cup of tea, connecting with someone. So their support's been phenomenal. They, um, so when they came on, I was then able to um, just build really strong foundations, so have a central office where all the letters come here and instead of volunteers all around the country, have some trained staff here in the office. So they've just enabled it to become a sustainable business. Do you have any insight into pitching ideas or projects to big corporates for sponsorship like that we have so many rural businesses um, and Mm. community organizations and events that would love to know I'm sure yes so I tried to find sponsorship myself um, and it's one of those things that you, you really just need to have a bit of experience in. So I was finding the right contacts, people to contact, and I was contacting them. And I had a great offering. There were so many people. There was so much media. But I didn't know how to present it. Um, and so when I, I reached out to a partnership specialist, she her name's Laura, and she's located in Sydney, she came on and she just helped me package it, put it into a little package that gives them all the information that they needed, really easily accessible. So I personally didn't, I can't credit that to me, getting that big sponsor. But um, since I've had Tetley on board over the last few months, I have been engaging with a lot of local councils and I've been doing that myself, reaching out, pitching to local government to get involved or to purchase um, some of my programs. And that's been really successful. And I have learned a lot over that experience. My, My initial emails, you know, my initial attempts were far too comprehensive. I was sending emails that, you know, I was just trying to give them all of the information and tell them tell them everything they needed to know. But um, I really quickly learned that people don't read, you know, if there's too much information, they just don't read it. So I learned quickly that you should just make your emails very short, very concise and simple, just the headlines, just enough to, for them to know, to make a decision on whether they want to know more or not. Don't try and tell them everything. Just tell them this is this great thing we're doing. Um, give them some headlines and then invite them to connect with you. So that's that's my main learning. Don't try and sell too much. Do you make sure you include numbers in your initial email? So that's the big headline. You include numbers, any other big brands. So my emails ended up being two paragraphs at the end of this, and it was just this is the num- all the numbers who've got involved. Um, Tetley's backing us. These are some other councils that are participating, and here's some links to some media that we've been in that gives you a good idea. So it was like just an email with everything I could put in there to make them be like, oh, wow, this is a, this is really something. Let's, you know, let's, let's learn more. It's almost like a tease, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And um, especially so, and I have been working on one project recently and it's more of on a commercial basis. And so 
um, the things I've been putting in the email, I really had to think, what do they want to know? And so one of them was um, name dropping, I guess, is the word for it, name dropping. Um, any celebrity or minor celebrity who's been involved last year, um, Chris Hemsworth actually got involved. And so recently in emails where I've been trying to get support, I've just mentioned that. <laughs> so, <anything laughs> How did he that- become involved? So he, um, it's a really lovely story. He, um, there was a boy last year, halfway through last year, his mother registered him to receive a letter. His name was Mitchell and he was seven years old and he had been diagnosed with a really rare brain tumour in January. So really their life was, you know, just, uh, you can't imagine what they went through, Um, cancer or tumour diagnosis and then COVID. So they were down in Sydney at, um, Ronald McDonald house and she registered him to receive a letter. She just wanted to him to get any sort of any love he could get um, because it was a terminal diagnosis. So um, we, we organized some, a few lovely letters for him, but I also just put a post on social media. It was just Mitchell, you know, and just said that he loves Thor and, and the um, Marvel characters. That's what his mum had said. And after, I think it was maybe five or six weeks, I got a phone call and I, yeah, I got a phone call from Chris Hemsworth's, manager or one of his agents <laughs> thought uh, you say Chris I know oh I wish no at first I thought it was a bit of a just a bit of a joke and then it was it really turned out to be legitimate and I was like oh okay and so what he ended up doing what they offer was was for Chris to dress up as Thor so in his Thor costume or character and um and record Mitchell a video just telling him that he you know, Mitchell's a superhero now and all the superheroes stick together and he'll, he'll, he'll get through it and he'll, um, they're all behind him, I guess, um, which was so lovely. Like his mum was just blown away by that video coming through for them. And so that was really special. I'll be back with Mia in just a moment. But now a word from today's sponsor. Today's episode of Life on the Land is proudly brought to you by the Rockhampton Grammar School. With the majority of their 320 boarders hailing from the land, Rockhampton Grammar understands the challenges that regional and remote families face when it comes to education. RGS is celebrating 140 years of education in 2021, and boarding has formed the core of the school from the very beginning. Now, more students call RGS their second home than any other school in Queensland. Conveniently located in one of Queensland's regional centres, Rockhampton Grammar is proud to be chosen by families throughout central Queensland, far north Queensland, the Northern Territory and overseas. 2022 enrolments are open now, and the friendly admissions team would love to talk to you about joining the Grammar community. Phone 1300 Grammar or visit rgs.qld.edu.au for more information. Mia, I'd like to know a bit more about about you. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up. So I grew up in Dunedoo, which is a small town in central west New South Wales uh, on a property when I was in primary school and then we sold the farm and moved into town a bit later Um, but it was just wonderful it was one of those just perfect childhoods I think now now that I'm older that's how I see it it was just small town small country town 
um, you know, outdoors. I just remember everything we did was outdoors, filled with sport and just great people, great activities. Um, at the time, I guess you, I didn't appreciate it. You don't really appreciate it at the time. And um, and after I left the town, I went off to uni and I didn't really think about it much. But certainly in my in the last few years and as I've gotten older, I've really appreciated the town and my childhood. And where did life take you from there? So I went off to university. So I went to uni in Armadale. My brother and sister had both gone before me and it's a lot of fun. So uni uni was a lot of fun. Sometimes you look back and you're like, oh, that wasn't very good, you know, fail the odd subject. And But I think everyone has similar experiences and it's um, it's just a great time to go and, I guess, discover yourself a little bit coming from a tiny little town. I guess I found it quite thrilling to go off to uni. Um, and then I obviously came back to to this area, the Dubbo area, and have have settled out here now. So, yes, did you you studied law? You became a lawyer. Was that always what you wanted to do? Yeah, yep. Yeah, that was that was always the plan. Um, studied, became a lawyer, and I worked for some time in private practice, and then I worked for Department of Justice, so ju- with juvenile justice, which was um, that was a great job. I really enjoyed working with with youths and that um that space so that was wonderful and then um and then I just worked for myself a little bit when I was on maternity leave just doing writing for other lawyers so and that's what I was doing actually before I started Connected AU. It sounds to me like you're a very structured person like you knew you were going to be a lawyer and it it, that's that's how it eventuated and and then but this the evolution of Connected Mm -hmm. AU is is not structured it's very in some respects would you say it's unlike you well no so I think it's it is quite reflective of me so the um perhaps deciding to do law and following through on that and becoming qualified that was probably a very one of the only very structured things that I have done so my personality is probably a bit more um a bit more impulsive and I you know I get focused on something and then a bit hyper focused on something else so no this has been the most fun I've had because I have been able to just be really just really like risk-taking and just I've had ideas and I can just run with them and I've been able to just really be myself in this um in this connected AU experience because this is what I'm like I have ideas and I'm passionate and I, I run in all directions and I don't stop and um, whereas in other positions I've had practicing as a lawyer um, you have to just fit in the box and do the job that you know that you're given so this is this is perfect for me. So why wasn't law the thing for you? Um, you know I probably would have stayed in it forever if I hadn't done fell into this um, I was enjoying just working from home. I had my toddler at home and I was enjoying just doing work for other lawyers, just doing writing work for them. So I probably would have stayed in law if I hadn't discovered this. But since starting this and discovering what it's like to actually have your own business and see something like your hard work build into something and the impact you can make in the community. Like when I see the impact we're making on people, we get feedback from people saying, this has changed my life or I felt so alone in the world and this has shown me that my life's worth something. So when you get feedback like that, it's so, I don't know what it does, but it's just so motivating. So I can't imagine doing anything else now. After you finished university, you um, you ended up at near Walgett at um, Bowen Junction. How did that come about? So my husband, Scotty, is from Walgett originally, um, and we 
we did. We ended up living on a property near Burren and it was um, it was wonderful. Like I, I've said this before that the um, it was the best of times and the worst of times. It was just it was the middle of a crippling drought. So Walgood had been in drought for about seven years and it was just um, just a crippling drought f- for everybody out there. And um, and that had so many so many complexities and challenges. But at the same time, it was this wonderful community. So the community was so good out there. And it was, you know, it was uh, it was the, a chance to have that really strong community, you know, where your children could grow up and have that wonderful rural lifestyle. And what was it like when you first moved there? Were you, I mean, you were a country girl, so you probably didn't have any anxieties about it, but what was going through no. your mind? Um, I was just excited. Um, Scotty's sister is in that area and um, I was just really excited, I think, to get there. And it was it was wonderful and I just remember my one of my first memories is um, just reflective of how wonderful the community is. We were at the school um, and we were there for the first assembly, I think it was. You know how... I think if you're in a bigger city, you just don't walk up and engage with people. Like, you know, you just don't walk up and just say hello to to people. I mean, it, you do a little bit, but it's just not something that you really experience every day. And so we were at the school and this woman walked over to me, this young woman walked over to me um, and she was just like, hi, I'm Janine. Why don't you guys come to the swimming pool after this with us? And just instantly, you know, just, and she went on to become, one of my best friends out there she was just so friendly but that was just reflective of everyone out there they were just so inclusive and just so welcoming um and the community was just so supportive of each other so it was just a the community was just really wonderful out there and I made some wonderful friends so it was a great time but also just a tough time because the drought was pretty crippling and it was hard for everyone on all levels I think what does Scotty do and how did the drought affect that so he operates his own um, transport business, so grain and cattle. So he has stock crates and road trains of grain, and he's um, operated that for about 10 years. He um, he went off to boarding school from Walgut, and then he returned to Walgut, uh, became a diesel mechanic, and then just went into trucks. And so he's operated that for a long time, but it just was getting progressively worse for him. And um, it got to the point where he was just travelling so far away for work. There was just no work. And he was having to travel really far for work and that just made it really isolating for me. I was um, on the property, you know, we'd had Georgie, who's my toddler now, who's two, but she was a newborn at the time. And I just found it really, really cripplingly isolating because he was gone a lot of the time and I was out there on my own. What did that feel like? What what did the, on a daily level, how did isolation creep in in a bad way? I think it also it it coincided with um having Georgie and having a new baby kind of you know that's tough anyway that's life-changing in itself and um and that can be a bit isolating in itself and so I think the two of those things um just yeah culminated in me feeling really really isolated as I said though there were wonderful people around me and I had all these great connections, but they didn't live with you. So they didn't live with me. And so they weren't with me all the time. And if it was particularly at night time, I noticed it was Scotty would be away. and You're exhausted anyway with a newborn. And I just felt so alone. And also there was a vulnerability element of it as well. I think, you know, you feel, um, I think a lot of women feel a bit vulnerable after when they've got a, a newborn. And I, I really felt that that was really heightened out there. I felt very um, just 
separated from my family, I guess, and you're very far from from anything that you might need. So I felt quite vulnerable. And then when those things start occurring, your confidence subsides and you almost go within yourself and things like normal socialising or even approaching people to say g'day become difficult. Mm -hmm. So what happened to you a bit? Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of mums would be able to relate to that. A lot of people listening will know what that feels like. Um, And it's a bit of a cycle, isn't it? Like the less, the more disconnected you get, the less engaged you get, then the harder it is to then get back to then step out and be like, oh, I'm going to go to that adventure. I'm going to go to something. I was lucky that I had these wonderful people around me and Janine, my closest friend out there, that would come in and pluck, you know, and just be like, let's go to this. And I was part of a book club out there. And it was so, there was a wonderful social network. Um, But it did towards the end. And I guess that's why we made the decision to move because it just got to the point where it was, it was just too much. I was too isolated. Scotty was under a lot of pressure. He was struggling financially. Everyone was. Um, and so it got to a point where I just said, this isn't healthy really for anyone. So, And at the same time, your husband, Scotty, was also dealing with the mounting pressure of the drought and having to be away from his own family and seeing you. Um, mm. did, did you feel like you, you had to um, be strong and put on the brave face for him as he was struggling as well with something completely oh. separate. Yeah, absolutely. It's so complex. Like we could chat for hours and I'm sure so many people, other people who are listening would relate to that. You, I was really struggling but couldn't and didn't want to say anything because he was in a far worse place than I was. So he was, um, yeah, I guess financially he was finding it really tough. I mean, men, you know, it's so hard for them, I think. And he... Um, he really, it really impacted him towards the end. He got quite, he got quite bad depression, which is so, so common. Like that's everyone, you know, every second person's story out there during the drought was that it really got to them. Um, And so I couldn't really, I just felt really alone even more then because he had his own challenges. Um, So yeah, it just, it just became too complex, (laughs) I guess. Yeah. And what did the depression look like for him? Did that mean working in an insane amount or did it mean not being able to work so much and just not well, being I think able to the face problem it? Is, yeah, I think the problem is not being able to work. There wasn't enough work and so then that's a bit of a cycle. So um, there just wasn't enough work. And I think all the you know, men who experience depression, particularly rural men, I think they just withdraw. So I think he just withdrew essentially from 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 everything. That's so tough. Yeah, so you sound like you've got this scenario where you have a um, young child and two people really, really battling. And so did did you both know that it was time to go or did one person have to be brave and make the move? I did. I just said it's time to go. Yep. Yep. I just said that's it. I just, I just said it's better um, if I can just be closer, I guess, to people, to my support network. So that was in Dubbo. Also, I could support um, financially as well. If we came back here, I'd be able to, I knew I'd be able to get a job in a, in a firm here and <clears throat> contribute um, where it was quite limited out there what I could do. So, um, so I made the, and just for everyone's mental health, I just knew that it was a pretty toxic place out there. It had become pretty crippling for everyone. So I thought, look, the best thing for us to do is just to move. Um, Scotty, um, you know, he took a bit of time to, to, 
be okay with that idea and and but he was you know he um he was wonderful he he moved and he's he's just really hit the ground running I think since since then that's so wonderful to hear but of course you yeah. moved to Dubbo and then it rained yes what was that like yeah. Well, I think it was probably pretty hard for for Scotty. I think you just can't win. you can't win though, can you? Like you can't pick it. And if we had have stayed out there, I mean, we actually did stay another year. Like we were, you know, we we had had those conversations and um and we stayed longer. Um, but then it got to the point where we were like, I, I said that's it. If we had have stayed longer, how do you know? It mightn't have rained and it might might have just continued on on that path. So um I don't think you can look back. I don't think you can look back and think, oh, I wish we had made this decision or what if. I think you just have to not ever think of what ifs and just keep going forward. Absolutely. I'm also interested to know, once you did move and you settled into life at Dubbo, did quite often you see like like you say people are putting on the brave face and really um almost running on adrenaline and putting everything into their scenario to try and make it work and then they step out of it and things are wonderful but it's almost like your body and your mind catches up with you and there's an element of I'm not like post-traumatic stress it's not post-traumatic stress but it catches up did you see that in your lives um not in myself I so my personality or my nature, I just, I am able to just run with things and just move on. And so I guess I, we came back here and I just, you know, that had closed that book and then I was moving on to the next thing. Um, I, I certainly think for Scotty, I think he, I mean, you know, I said he hit the ground running, but there was definitely an adjustment period probably for six months um, afterwards. He, I think that's what he experienced. I think he really just, um, everything was catching up with him that had happened previously and trying to figure out what to do now and how do we navigate this. And um, so I th- certainly think for him, and it did take him some time, but he he definitely has gotten to a place where he's really happy. He's managing everything really well. And he's been able to focus on health and fitness and just all of these other, you know, um, wonderful parts of life that when we were out there and in the thick of it, we just, nothing else mattered. It was, you know, um, your world becomes so small, I think, when you're in in that in that experience of someone struggling with depression and, and, and going through the drought. Such a brave move to take, but I bet you both don't have any regrets. Do you think that either of you would ever move back? No, I think this is a really wonderful balance now. So Scotty works, um, he his work is still predominantly out there. So he um he's has the best of both worlds I guess he gets to go out there and work and maintain that lifestyle and um but we're based here and the girls are in school here and sports and I'm able to do this work I don't think I would have been well I wouldn't have been able to do this out there I wouldn't have had the I just wouldn't have been able to mentally do what I'm doing now you talk so much about isolation and you know it so well do you think that's why you can be so effective in what you're doing with the Letterbox Project and Connected AU because it's your lived experience? I think so. I think, I mean, I think I just have a little a little insight into it now. I know that there are people who have, um, ours was just a small amount of time that we were struggling with something like this. And I think um, everyone experiences loneliness and isolation at some point in their life. So mine's only quite small an insight into it. There are people and the people we're supporting, it's a, 
long-term chronic thing for some people. So, um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I really can understand what everyone's going through, but I definitely use my little insight into my motivation to just keep, keep running ahead with it. Now you said that your like dream is just to create, not, not your dream, but that you hope you want to allow connected AU to completely fly. How do you Mm. hope it will get bigger? So there's big ambitious plans, which is what I tend to do. Um, I want the Letterbox project to always remain a free program. We'll always have the major sponsor. Hopefully that's Tetley long-term. And it'll always operate as this wonderful free program on the side. I want Connected AU um, to focus on the community groups or the hobby groups that we call them, these online groups, because it's really giving another level of engagement to people. Um, And that's the future. There's a a little membership fee on those um, but we want those to grow and um, I feel like that's the most effective way we can really support people. It's letting them find a community in the comfort of their own home. Um, so that's the future. And essentially I just want ConnectedAU to grow so that so it becomes known as a really easy to access um, organisation and whenever anyone's feeling lonely or isolated, that's the first thing they think of. ConnectedAU, let's, let's see if they can do anything to help you. And how important is it? for you to champion your rural roots and where you're based? It has, um, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind when I was doing this, but recently um, in a few events I've been involved in this week, actually, or next week, sorry, there's a Vogue Codes country event that I'm um, a panelist. So I'm speaking at um, at that and and that that's just on country, on, on this country area and women who are doing phenomenal things. And so I really think it's become um, more in the forefront of my mind what I'm doing and where I am and the potential that, that you have when you're in a place like this. But also just to be a great, um, just to be a great, um, no, I wouldn't say leader, but um, showing people that it can be done. This kind of thing can be done from anywhere. You are a total leader. You're absolutely a leader. You've built it from scratch and it's um, organically grown and grown and grown and you've still got wonderfully ambitious plans for it, which is so inspiring and wonderful to see that it is possible. Oh, thank you. It's it's one of those things. It's kind of um, hard, isn't it, to sit back and be like, oh, that's, yeah, that's right. That is quite big, what's happened. <laughs> Mia, I've loved talking to you. I, yes, we are both sitting in our cars. That's why there's been a bit of traffic going backwards and forwards. But unfortunately, um, that's just life. That's just life um, living in the country and living in the city. And sometimes things have to be moved around. So um, it's been so wonderful to connect in with you again. And as I always say with these wonderful businesses, it, I can't wait to see where things go for you and how it grows and grows and grows. Thank you, Sky. It was wonderful to catch up with you again. Um, And thanks for just giving me the opportunity to, to come on and have a chat. Isn't that just the best story? You can see how it has grown so organically because I think after hearing this, you just want to go and tell people about it. To me, Mia's story is yet another example that if you've got the courage of your convictions, huge things can be achieved even if you're based in regional Australia. In fact, I think at the moment, maybe even more so. 
Thank you to our sponsor for today's episode, Rockhampton Grammar School. And I wanted to tell you that we are so close to sending the winter issue of Grazy Her off to the printers. It's going to be a wonderful issue. If you want, get in now while you're thinking of it and subscribe for yourself and maybe a good friend who lives in the city at grazyher.com.au. We'll be back next week with another Life on the Land story. 